The following audio is from the Sunday morning worship service at First Baptist Church in Clayton. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcclayton.com. All right, let's go. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. All right, um, as I said this morning, um, what, what I wanted to do, and as I was reading through this passage on, on Monday, I began to, to feel that, that this morning needed to be just a little bit different. Um, because we're going to touch on some things this morning. As I said, I didn't want us to just sing two verses and then, and then shut it down and that be all. Um, I, I wanted us to spend some time in response and in, in worship this morning um, because of some things that we're going to talk about. And, uh, and this is really going to be weird because we're going to show a video right toward the end. It's a music video that, that really ties everything in to, to where we're going this morning. Um, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And again, we're, we're talking about chasing after wind, chasing after things that are just not going to satisfy. No matter how much we chase after them, we're never going to reach them. And, and in the end, we might end up, if, if that's our goal, if we're chasing after these things, we're, we're going to end up sacrificing a whole lot more than it's worth in the end. So let's go. Uh, let's stand together. We're going to read all of chapter 4. It's 16 verses, so it's a little bit long, but not, not terribly so. This is what it says. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive, but better both is he who has not yet been born and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor, This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, uh, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, of whom, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that this morning you'll speak to us and you'll show us those areas of our lives where we're chasing after the wind. We're chasing after things that just aren't going to satisfy and I pray this morning you'll show us if there's any place in our lives where, where we're chasing after these things to the detriment of our friends, to the detriment of our family, and to the detriment of our own soul. Um, may your words speak this morning, then may we respond to it this morning in, in worship. We ask this in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, as we've said so far, um, we've seen that everything is vanity, which, which the NIV will say meaningless, and, and we said that probably a better translation of the term, the, the Hebrew word hebel is breath, meaning that, that everything is short. 
And so not that we need to cast everything off as meaningless or worthless, but that we need to realize that life is short. And we have a very limited time to, um, to live and a time to accomplish things. And so we've got to view life in that perspective. Um, and, and then we said that pleasure, wealth, and work are all in the end, striving after win. In other words, you're chasing after something that's just, that, that's not there, that you're, you're gonna try, think you have a hold of it and open your hand and there's not gonna be anything left. And, and so this is where, really where we're headed today. This is the theme uh, that we're gonna be on today, this striving after win, chasing after the win. Uh, so verses one through three really deal with oppression and, and deal with the oppressed. It says this, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold the tears of the oppressed and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. Okay, so, so he grieves for those who are oppressed because the oppressors have all the power. Um, and, but in the end, the oppressors and the oppressed have the same problem in that he says there's no one there to comfort them. So to those who are the oppressed, he just kind of sees them alone with nobody to comfort them, and then he sees the oppressors who when trouble comes to them, there's no one that cares for them either, no one to comfort them. Uh, and so these two people on, on different ends of the, of the spectrum in the end have the same problem. They're alone. And he reaches the point where he thinks that death is preferable to life. Look at this, verse two. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. Verse three, it gets even worse. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So he looks and he said, man, the dead are better off. But, but even better than them are those who haven't even been born to have to live through this miserable life. And, and so he begins to despair. Now, now I, wanted, I wanna say this because he's not suicidal here. He's not just saying, well, life is so horrible, I should end it all. He's just, he's despairing. And I think we'll, we'll resonate with this because I think all of us at, at one time or another have reached a point in life where, where things just seem hopeless. And we look at things around us and just go, man, what, what's the point? Why, why do we do all this? And so he reaches this point and he despairs, um, just like others did. In fact, Jeremiah, in, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 20, does the same thing. And, and this, is, this is where he goes. Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, a son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon because he did not kill me in the womb, so my mother would, not, so my mother would have been my grave and her, womb, and her womb forever great. Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? So, so Jeremiah gets to the point at one point in his life where he's just lamenting the fact that he's been born. And, and so we've got to understand what, what Solomon is trying to tell us in Ecclesiastes is this, and, and from a New Testament perspective, if you don't have the hope in your life that comes from Christ, then all you're left with is despair. Because there are going to be days when it's tough. There are going to be days where you just go, man, I, I, I just don't want to do this anymore. I, I just don't think that, that, it's, that it's worth it. And without the hope of Christ that, that no matter what happens, no matter how bad things may get, we have the foundation in Christ, you, you have no reason not to despair. 
And I don't, mean to, I don't mean to come off overly harsh, but listen, if your hope's not placed in Christ, then you have no hope in the end. Um, and so, and, and we're going to talk more about this in a minute as we talk about what some of the things that, that we chase after. Um, and so this sets up where we're headed. Especially if you see the plight of the oppressed and how bad it is to be the oppressed, then you might go in your mind, okay, then I'm going to make sure that I never wind up in that position. If I see the oppressed and they have no power and there's no one there to comfort them, then, then I'm going to make sure that I can do everything to, to make sure that that doesn't happen to me. And the problem we're going to see is that it doesn't work that way. Nothing you can chase after will make things any better. All right, so let's go on. Verses 4 through 8. Uh, verse 4, it says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Now he's going, uh, he's exaggerating here. He's using uh, what's called hyperbole, which means he's, he's overstating things to make his point. That all toil and all work is done out of, an, out of envy of his man's neighbor. In other words, um, I see what my neighbor has, and I like it. Looks good to me. So I purpose in my heart that I want that thing. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that thing. The problem is that if you go back to the Ten Commandments, in the end, that's what is called coveting, which is one of the big ten, right? That's one of the, one of the, very, one of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Okay? And so this is where he's going, where, where we look at things and say, man, that, that's just so cool. They just have their life together. They have all the fun toys. And I want that, so I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that. It's this idea that the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence until you get to the other side of the fence, and then you see all the weeds. Um, this whole idea with keeping up with the Joneses, right? That, that I've got I've to do whatever I have to do. I have to work however hard I have to work to earn enough money to where I can, I can play with the big boy toys, okay? And, and so this is what he observes. And then he goes on in verse 5 and 6, and he's going to use a couple of contradictory phrases here. So, so let me, let, let's read this, and then let me kind of break it down. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. It's pretty graphic. Um, Better is a handful of quietness than two hands hands full of toil and a striving after wind. So he talks about the fool who doesn't work, who's lazy and just sits there. And then the idea is that he eats his own flesh because he has nothing else to eat. Okay, because he's not working. But then he, he turns the tables and he says, better is a handful of quietness then two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. So what is he saying? Because he, he says the lazy man won't earn anything, but it's better to have a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil. I think what he's saying is that you need a balance. In other words, if you don't work, you're not going to eat. That, that's the way the world works. Okay? And yet, if all you do is work, what, what do you have in the end? And so what he's saying is you need to have a handful of quietness while you've still got the other handful of work. So you have a balance. You, have, you, you work, but you don't overwork. You're not chasing after the wind in your work. You're, you're working and yet still enjoying time for quiet, time for friends, time for family. Not neglecting one at the expense of the other. 
Then he goes on, uh, verse 7 and 8. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. So he mentions somebody who has no other, no, no one else in his life, no brother, no son, and yet he spends his life working to ultimately leave it to whom? And so in, in our day and age, we see this uh, where some people have, have literally sacrificed family on the altar of their work in that they say, I'm not going to marry, I'm not going to have kids because I'm so engrossed in my job. I'm going to give myself to work. And, and listen, in the end, what, what do you gain from that? Far more common than that, though, is people who will marry, who will have kids, and then sacrifice their family on the altar of their work and neglect them to chase after work, to chase after money, to chase after riches, and to keep going after the wind, grasping after something that's not there. And so now, um, well, a good example of this, and maybe, maybe you're familiar, um, Howard Hughes, one of the, richest men in, in the world throughout last century. Um, of course, he's known for his, his innovation in, uh, in air travel and in aviation. Um, and then the last several years of his life were spent as a recluse because of his extreme OCD, and he literally worked himself mad. Drove away everyone close to him. And, and though he was one of the richest men in the world, in the end, he was... He, he locked himself in a room and didn't want the company of anybody else because that's, that's the life that he made for himself. Um, there, there is a better way to live. And Solomon's going to contrast that here. He, so, so from where he just went to the, the person who works um, to the exclusion of everybody else. I'm going to strive after this thing and, um, and, and who leaves everybody else in the in the wake, he, he contrasts that here going into verse 9. It says this, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So he says that there are two are better than one. Because if one of them falls, the other one can pick him up. And that the idea in verse 11 of, of two lying together is two, two people who are off on a long journey, who have to camp out in the middle of nowhere and, and huddle together to, to stay warm at night. But how can one keep warm alone? If you're out there all by yourself, good luck to you. And then verse 12, though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So if two are good, three's better, is what he's saying. In other words, he's saying don't forsake those around you. Don't forsake people chasing after things. Because sometime you're going to fall down. And who's going to be there to pick you up? 
Let's go on, verse uh, 13 through 16. And this, and this gives us a good picture because it talks about a king. It talks about somebody who has gained everything, who literally has gained his world and, and what happens to him. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no, who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. So, so the old and wise king um, dies, and this young man comes along who went from prison to the throne, who went from the very bottom to the very top. Modern success story, right? You want to you talk about somebody who goes from the slums to great success. This is this story. Verse 15, I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. You see that? There's no end to the people who he rules over. Okay, he's got power. He has wealth. He has status. He's the king. And as Mel Brooks so um, uh, poignantly coined several times, it's good to be the king. Okay? Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Look what it says. He's the king. He's got everything. He's got, he rules over people, and yet those who come after him, it says they will not rejoice in him. What I, what I think it means there is that they will not remember him. So he's the king. He lives it up, and eventually he's going to die, and he's going to be forgotten, just like the rest of us as we talked a couple of weeks ago. If your main goal in life is advancing in your career and gaining uh, some sort of notoriety, you will find, just as it says here, that it's vanity and a striving after wind. That thing that you chase will always elude you. Um, and, I, and I told you, we're going to have a video. This is a song by Casting Crowns called American Dream. And, and I just think it, it illustrates this whole thing um, in, a, in a very powerful way. So let's watch and then I'll come in and wrap this up. I think that scene where he's uh, building a sandcastle and trying to keep the water away from, from washing away everything that he's worked on is pretty powerful. Um, so the closing today is real, real simple. Um, the guy in the video was chasing after the American dream. Bigger house, better car, more money, and it ended up costing him in the end the, the very things that mattered. Now, they use this verse in the song, but Matthew 16, 26 says this, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So here's the truth. In the end, you and I are going to end up disappointing somebody. The question is, are we going to end up disappointing the right people? Am I going to strive after money, after success, and disappoint my family? Or are there going to be times when I say, I can't do that because of my family? And so this morning, as we close, I um, have just a couple of questions for us to, to think about. That's this. Um, first of all, am I, are, are we, are you, 
focusing your attention on promotions, on bigger houses, on faster cars, on worldly things, only to find yourself having forsaken the people that matter. What are we chasing after? Second question is this, and this is, this is just as important. Does my job or my pursuits of other things regularly affect my ability to join the body of Christ in worship? Because listen, if, if, you're, if your job is taking you away from joining together with the body on a regular basis, you got to evaluate that. Where, where are your priorities? 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And so it, it says there, look, the, the devil's roaming around trying to see, see who he may devour. And then he says, but the same kinds of temptations are happening to brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. And so the idea there is that as we come together, we can help strengthen one another against these kinds of attacks. We can hold each other accountable and ask you questions like, what are you pursuing? What are you chasing after? Are you, are you spending time with your family or are you forsaking them for other things? But just as when a wolf is out hunting, Satan's going to see who he can separate from the pack. And if you're off by yourself, not regularly connected to the body of Christ, not regularly connected to, to other believers in, in, the, in the word and in worship, you're going to be easy prey. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We should, that as Christ comes, as his day gets closer, we should be meeting together more often, not less often. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 12 For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And, and I think what we failed to realize here in the 21st century is that not only do you need the body of believers, the body of believers needs you. Because it says each, each member is a different part of the body. And so if you are absent, there's a part of the body that's missing. Yes, you need to be a part of the body because a hand off by itself doesn't do any good. But a body without a hand is severely limited, disabled in some areas. 
So let me ask this. Uh, this is the last question, and then Chad's gonna, I'm, I'm gonna pray, and then Chad's gonna come up, and, and we're gonna respond in worship this morning. When you take stock of your life, when you look deep inside, when you do a heart check and a gut check, and let me tell you, this, having, having to read this passage this week, as, as I've prepared for it, it's caused me to do some heart checks. It's caused me to have a gut check this week and to look at where my priorities are and, and, and the times that I'm forsaking my family to do ministry, which is good, but it's not the best thing. So when you take stock, not, not what you would just say, oh yeah, this, these are my priorities, but, but when, you, when you really do a gut check, where do your priorities lie? What are you chasing? And when the storm comes, and when the wind hits, and when the waves come crashing in, is your house going to stand? Or is it going to wash away like that sandcastle? As Chad comes, let's pray. God, I understand that this morning is a tough message. And I understand that it can be hard business for us to do, for us to make the hard evaluations about where we stand. But God, I pray this morning that none of us would escape without doing that, that we would all take stock of our lives. And, and for those in the room who are, um, who are solid, I say praise you, I say thank you, Lord, for, for that example. But Lord, for those of us who, who need to do some reevaluating, I pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. You would show us the things that we need to repent of so that we can chase after, first of all, you and your word. And second of all, that we can have our priorities in line so that we don't end up forsaking the things that matter to chase after wind. I pray that in these next few moments as we worship and as we respond that you will um, stir our hearts and, and if we need to take action, we would do that. Above all, I pray that our eyes would be focused on you and our hearts would be worshiping you during this time. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from the Sunday morning worship service at First Baptist Church in Clayton. We are located at 223 Oak Street, and we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings for Sunday school at 945 and worship at 11. You can reach us at 374-9285 or at fbcclayton.com.